Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you, my name is Brooks. I serve as a life group pastor here at New Break Church. Happy to be with you this morning. It feels like that $35 coffee is probably accurate today for inflation prices, so you're just catching up. Come on. Um, How many of you, just by show of hands, have ever had a really great start to a vacation, and then the end of the vacation was awful. Anybody raise your hand? Anyone ever been there before? Yeah, that's what it was for me last week. I had a chance to uh, take a staycation here. It's the first vacation I've taken in a while. I took a whole week off, and I remember the first part of the week was wonderful. My wife and I, with our two kiddos, we, were, we went to the bay. We flew kites. We went to the zoo. We even went to a, a mine in Julian, which I don't suggest taking toddlers into a mine in Julian. No matter if they take your money, it's very dangerous. I just, uh, that was, it was frightening. Almost, almost had a heart attack in there. So um, yeah, it was great. It was a wonderful time. And then the last 48 hours of my vacation was very hard. It was filled with pressure. I felt like I, my, my head was going to explode. Okay. On, uh, on the Friday before my vacation was over, I got a knock on my door from my 92 year old neighbor who said, Hey Brooks, did you know that your sprinklers have been on three times this morning? And the last time that they've been on, it's been on for over an hour. I said, what? Are you serious? And she said, yes, come outside. I went outside. Literally, my lawn was just dumping gallons of water into the, into the driveway and into the, the, um, the, the store or sewage area, right? Just water was pouring out, pouring out. And all my mind, I was thinking, cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. And I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to have some issues. So I, I ran to the garage. I tried to turn off the water sprinkler uh, system. It wouldn't turn off. I even unplugged the automatic water sprinkler sprinkler system, thinking I was so smart. It wouldn't turn off. I, I, I was like, what am I going to do? It's not turning off. So I, I went around and I, I, I was trying to be, you know, uh, just trying to think through what can I do. So I found on the ground and this house we're renting, uh, you know, you pull up the, the metal bar or the pipe and you see the sprinkler systems, the manual shut off, right? So I thought, okay, smart guy, I'm going to manually shut it off. I started turning that sucker, cranking it down as far as it could go. It wasn't turning off. It was still going. And so I, I kind of like freaked out a little bit. I felt the pressure and I called the gardener and I said, man, can you get here? He said, I'll be there in 20 minutes. He showed up an hour later. So the, the lawn is still going, still going. And finally I found the water, like manual shut off. So I shut off all the water of the whole house and literally there was still water dumping off the grass after the water was off. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Not only am I, am I going to have this problem with the grass, we just destroyed the grass, I just got an extra $100 on my water bill, but I, okay, we'll just deal with it, we'll deal with it, okay? Fast forward, the next day, the next day, my wife comes walking down the street with her stroller, and she looks outside at the outside of the house, she thought, huh, why, why is the house a different color on that bottom part of the house? So I said, oh, wh- wh- what do you mean? She said, yeah, the, have, just come outside and look. The bottom half of the house is a different color green than the top half of the house. And I said, oh my gosh, there's flooding in the walls. So I actually, I, I called the, the, the guy that manages the property. And he said, listen, if there's that much water that's into the walls, there's got to be a leak somewhere in the garage. You're going to have, you'll see water coming out of the wall. So I said, okay, okay, I'll go in the garage. So I go in the garage. I start pulling everything out of the garage. I'm like moving all this stuff. I got all this stuff. I got baby clothes for days that we've been used for like four years. I, I'm more I seem like, let's get rid of these baby clothes. Like we're just taking everything out. And then sure enough, I look in the wall. The water 
water's just dripping out water. Just water's pouring out of the wall. So I call the, call the guy that manages the, the home they're renting, and I tell him what happens, and he said, okay. He said, here's the deal. A pl- emergency plumber will be there at night right now, but he'll be there in an hour. So do whatever you got to do because the water's going to be off. So I know you got kids, so take care of it. So I was like, I ran inside. I was like, Heather, we got to cook. We got to cook dinner. We got to give the girls our baths. We got to, um, I got to do the dishes. I go inside. I see all, literally, it feels like, it feels about like a hundred people had dishes in our sink. I didn't even know how the sink could hold that many dishes. And I just felt the pressure, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure. And I, as I was doing the dishes and I was like, I was like telling Heather, we got to get the food going. So one of our daughters started biting the other daughter. And I'm like, please just stop. Like everybody just stop. And then no, I'm not lying to you. My phone goes off. Do you remember the 518 gratitude challenge? My phone goes off. And literally out loud, I was like, not now, God. No, I cannot. There's nothing right now. I can't. And after an hour, finally we turn off the water. The plumber gets there. I'm sitting outside in the garage for like, literally I was with him in the garage for like three hours while we were trying to fix this thing. And I just felt so much pressure because truthfully, like I, I, I want to take good care of the property that someone is letting us rent. I, I wanted to have everything finished and done so that when the plumber got there, he could just do his job and leave because he was coming on a Saturday night too. And I just felt that pressure. And I don't know if anybody in this room has ever felt that kind of pressure before where it just, it feels like there's just more more and more on your back. Things at work are harder and harder and harder and there's more and more deadlines. When you get home, you got the kids are yelling and crying and, and you're trying to be you're trying to be present, but mentally you're somebody else and, and or you're somewhere else and the pressure just comes really, really high. And the truth is sometimes we feel that pressure in our faith too. Not from God, but from other people. Well we have just lots of pressure on ourselves. Are we going to be men and women of integrity and character in a world that doesn't support that. I mean, it, sometimes it feels like, like we're literally, as Christians, we're swimming up against a stream of negativity and people questioning us and challenging our belief system and, and our values and our morality and our ethic is constantly being pushed. And it's no different than what the church felt in the, in the early church. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, chapter 12 verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. They felt the pressure too. They felt it. It's like iron being beat around something as they're shaping it. It's like, don't let the world shape you. Don't, let it, don't be conformed by the pressures of your job and the people around you. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so today, as we're, we're going to get into God's word this morning, I, I hope, and I've been praying so much this week that God could encourage us. Because ultimately, we have to answer this question. How can I walk with integrity? How can I walk with godly character? In the midst of a godless culture, how can we do that? Well, the good news is today we're going to get some really insightful, uh, uh, just inspiration from his word, from God's word, from the book of Daniel. Because we've been in this series and we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. So why don't we please, if you can, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 1. Again, I know Pastor Mark has covered this just real briefly last week. But we've been in the series, and it's all about thriving in Babylon. How do we thrive as followers of Jesus in the midst of a culture that's, that seems more and more foreign to us and, and to the way that we feel like we're being raised by God? It's just being constant pressure to change and become more like the world. See, last week, Pastor Marcus was teaching us of how easy it is to lose heart in the midst of a world that is rejecting God. It feels like, like we are losing the battle. And what, what are we going to do? We can really lose hope. 
But instead, just like God called the Israelites to find hope in him, so too God wants us to live with hope, to be committed to hope. See, the people of Israel were taken away from their land, from all that was comfortable, and they were placed somewhere else where they had to live out their faith. And God wanted them to keep hope in the midst of it. And so as we try to answer that question, how can I walk with godly character in a godless culture? Let's look in God's word for some inspiration. So let's look at Daniel chapter 1 verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, if you have a pen, underline that it was the Lord that delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And along with some of the articles from the temple of God, that these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasures of the house of his God. So this, this took place, this was a captivity that took place in the southern kingdom of Israel. See, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split. Uh, and the northern kingdom was already taken captivity in, by the Assyrians. And then in 586, the Babylonians came and kicked the crud out of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. They literally just uh, destroyed large parts of Jerusalem. They sacked the community. And they, they took all of these precious, uh, just precious elements within the tabernacle. They took it and they just took it to Babylon, which was unheard of for the Jews. Like, no way, Jerusalem's never going to fall. Jerusalem's never going to fall. God will never let Jerusalem fall. And then Jerusalem fell and the people were in shock. And ultimately, the people were taken into captivity by Babylon. And we're going to pick up here about some very special people that will be following for the rest of the book uh, about who they were and, and what God was going to do through their life. So look at verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, which by the way, just keep this in mind, probably between the ages of 16 and 18 years old. So if you have teenagers, it's their age who are being taken into captivity and being brought into the service of Nebuchadnezzar. It says, they, these were young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. One of the commentaries I was reading on this kind of put it this way, that they, these, these teenagers were being put into the Babylonian university. This was the cream of the crop. Babylon would go and they would, they would take the look across all the world where they were capturing people and they would find the best and they would grab them in and then they would basically try to brainwash them, try to make them be just like Babylonians. Learn the culture, learn the language. And if you were good enough, then you'd become a part of the government. So they are being invited, basically, if you meet this quote in the next three years, you're going to be in this government job, highly rated, highly important, really essential for your life to be here. So Daniel and his friends are here. So we know, we find out verses 6 through 7, we find out their names, okay? They, they actually, the Babylonians changed their names as a, a form of, again, helping them to remove their identity as Jews and make them Babylonians, they were trying to brainwash them. Dan so here were the names of the people. Daniel, in verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then in verse 7, it talks about their Babylonian names. But here we go, here we go. Verse 8, 
But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has, been assigned, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Verse 11, then Daniel then said to the guard for whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. By the way, you've heard the term Daniel fast. This is where this came from. Okay. Uh, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Okay, so again, our question for today is, how can we live with godly character in the midst of this godless culture? Well, the first thing that we need to do is something that Daniel did, is that we need to pre-decide to live by the culture of God's kingdom. Or in other words, we have to decide in advance whether or not we are going to live by God's standards in our life. This idea of predecision, I mean, the basic definition is you make choices ahead of time so that when the time comes and the pressure kicks on, you don't have to even think about it. You just do it. Like for me, I, I, I think, I was thinking about predecisions I've made. Like I, I became an Arsenal fan in 1998, okay? I predecided that no matter how much it hurts to be an Arsenal fan and how many times I just want to turn off the TV or put like salt in my eyes whenever I watch them play sometimes, it doesn't matter. I am predecided. I'm going to be an Arsenal fan. Some of you feel the same way about the Chargers. I still don't know why you follow the Chargers, but anyways, um, I predecide that every week I'm going to run somewhere between 12 and 15 miles every week. That's my goal right now. So rain or shine, I'm going to do it in either two or three runs. I'm going to find a time. If I can't do it in the morning, I'll do it in the night. I'll get 12 to 15 miles in, no matter what. That's my commitment. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Mark Zuckerberg, he kind of looks like um, Data from, um, you know, Star Trek Next Generation. You guys know that guy? He started Facebook. Um, anyways, I don't know if you noticed, but he wears the same thing all the time. Did you notice that? It's kind of weird. It's because he made the decision to do that, the predecision, because he didn't want to spend any more mental energy on what he would wear. He'd rather put that towards his career. So he decided, I'll wear the same thing every day. So he's got the same sweater, the same shirt, same jeans. He just wears over and over and over again. He's rich, so he buys a lot of them, so he doesn't wear the same one over, but he's, you know what I'm talking about. So ultimately, we have to be like Daniel and pre-decide what we will do if, in our life. If we want to live out godly character, we need to pre-decide in advance to live God's way. And that's exactly what Daniel did. Let's look at verse 8. There's a couple words that stand out here I just want to highlight. Daniel resolved, and then I also want you to highlight and pay attention to the word defile. He didn't defile himself. So the word resolved is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's actually made up of two words. Sum is the verb, and then all is uh, the word right after that. Um, so when you see the word sum in Hebrew, it means to put something down, okay? So like, I put down this rock. And then if you follow the word sum with the word all, all meaning uh, you put something above, it actually transforms the word to mean something. It means that you are putting something above another thing. Like you are, in other words, you are giving authority to that thing in your life. So for instance, when the Israelites were in Egypt, they, uh, they sum all, Egyptians as taskmasters over the Israelites. 
In other words, they put them at authority over the Israelites. So this is the same term that's being used here in Daniel 1. So what is it saying? It's saying that Daniel or put God's word, what God wants, as authority over his heart. He's saying here that God is my authority for what is happening in my life. I'm not the authority. God is my authority. Ultimately, his desire was to please God and to put God's word above everything. And I think that's a really good question when we think about today in our lives. Is that the same case in our lives? Does God's word and what God says has ultimate authority in my life? Do we approach God and his word that when we study God's word and we read it on a daily basis, or we try to get a couple times in a week, we're following the Lord, we're listening to his spirit as he speaks to us, do we allow God's word to have the ultimate say? And if not, then the question is, who's on the throne of my life? Is God on the throne? Or am I still the one that's taking charge? See, there's, um, there's a, a word that I learned early on when I was studying God's word. When you look back at the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, what the biggest thing I think that was up for grabs in the temptation in the garden was autonomy. Or in other words, autonomy means self-rule. That was what was up for grabs. Who decides who runs my life? And when temptation and sin enter the picture, Adam and Eve ultimately made the decision that they decide what's right and what's wrong. And that caused them to rebel against God. And so there's always a battle in our hearts, always, of are we willing to obey and submit to God and what his word says? Or am I going to take charge in these moments? And in this case, Daniel chose to say, no God, you are the one that's in charge in my life. And then the other word that stands out here is the word defile. The word defile means to pollute, okay? So it has this idea of a ceremonial and a moral pollution of one's heart. Daniel knew, being a good Jew, that there were certain types of food and drink he could not have, okay? For instance, if, if the king was offering them a certain type of meat, like let's say pork, well, Daniel couldn't eat it or it would pollute him morally, ceremonially, Okay. Also, I don't know if you knew this, but in the book of Leviticus, it talked about that certain, that animals had to be drained completely of their blood for a Jew because they believed that the, the life source was in the blood. So if this meat wasn't drained completely in the blood, then again, it would be morally and ceremonially polluting Daniel. But here's the other thing. There's a very strong chance that most, if I would say some, if not most of this food was first offered to an idol before it was set in front of Daniel. And so by him saying, no, I will not eat this, that was him saying, no, I will not be idolatrous. Because by eating this food, he would be indirectly saying, I am going to partake in the worship of another God that is not Yahweh. And so he said, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, ever, I can't do that. But here's the deal though. Think about Daniel for a second. Daniel had every excuse in the book of why he could have just gone and did this. Think about this for a moment. Think about the pressure that Daniel was under. Think about the fact that if he would have disobeyed the king, the king could have just murdered him, just killed him right on the spot. You're not going to listen to me? I can find another Daniel. Boom. Done. His life was on the line. How about the fact that Daniel was about 900 miles away from his home? Who would know? Who would know if Daniel ate it? I mean, Daniel's got a couple friends here, but maybe if they can talk together, no one would know. We can justify a lot of things when no one will know. We think no one will know, 
right? The truth is, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, that whole thing, it's a lie. Because what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. What happens in our chats doesn't stay in the chats. What happens when your family is away and you're by yourself, it doesn't just stay with you. It, it actually impacts your family too. Temptation itself, as we face temptation, temptation is, is almost like an exchange. I want to read you a quote from a guy named Thomas Brooks. Uh, I picked it because his name was also Brooks. Um, <laughs> let me see. Okay, Thomas Brooks, he said this. He was a 17th century uh, Puritan writer. He said this. He said, the number one device that Satan uses to tempt believers is to present the bait and hide the hook. Presents the bait and hides the hook. Every time we give into temptation, we are doing an exchange. We are exchanging one thing for another. We think that we can have both, but we lie to ourselves. Ultimately, we're deciding to take the bait here when we give in to our temptation. We exchange our integrity for, it's very easy to exchange your integrity for a job promotion. You can't keep both sometimes. We can exchange our sobriety for one night out with our friends. Just one night, right? Just one night. One moment. All, the, all of the sobriety that you built could be gone. We could even, this one was like broke my eyes, we can even exchange our family for a one night stand. We can exchange all of the years that you've built for that. But we don't think about what we're giving up in exchange for something. We don't think about the hook that's in the bait. We don't think about it until it's too late because that's how temptation works is it starts to spur something on in us, a desire that we want that really only God can fulfill. But when we give into temptation, we're saying, I can fulfill it myself. Think about the temptation for Daniel. Daniel could have, got this, could have had this huge promotion, right? He could have been, in his mind, if I give into this, if I just do what the king asks, I can go all the way up. I'm going to have this peach life. I'm going to be able to live with the, the best. I can have all that I want. I just got to eat this food. I mean, come on, how big of a deal is it to eat food anyways, God? Come on, come on. But Daniel knew that, that actually it was God who promoted. That God, he trusted that God would promote, that God would protect. Every time we're tempted, it's an it's a opportunity, it's a time to, to give in to something, to take something in our control, when ultimately God wants to eventually do that work in our life. So the question for us as we're kind of processing through here is like, what? What kinds of predecisions do I need to make in my life? What are the predecisions that I need to come to and, and, and accept in my own life to help protect me like Daniel did? Daniel probably predecided even before he got to Babylon that he wouldn't give in and eat the food. So like for me, I know my family, when my wife and I first got married, uh, I, didn't really, I didn't really think a lot about what I watched, like movies and shows. I just watched movies and shows because I, I thought Van Damme was awesome or I thought, you know, you fill in the blank. Like I love Braveheart. Like all, I, I can think of all these movies that are coming to my mind that I just love and I watch all the time. And then I got married, all of a sudden I started being uh, more aware of like nudity in films. And I, started realize, and I started seeing the impact of like just grotesque violence on my wife while we were sitting there watching it. And so we decided one day together, you know what? I don't think I want to bring that into our home. And she said, I don't want to either. So what are we going to do? 
So I don't know if you've ever heard of the IMDb. You guys ever heard of IMDb? It's an app. It's a website you can go to. If you type in any TV show, any movie in IMDb, it will show you all of the sexual content, violent content, language in it. So you don't have to like turn on a show and then all of a sudden see some sex scene and be like, oh, I didn't know I was in there. Because you can look it up in advance and realize, you know what? I don't think this show is worth me watching the sex scene. I'll pass. So the question is, how much of our, is our integrity worth for us? Like, are we willing to pass on certain things? Maybe some of us here, we are struggling with an addiction. We're struggling with maybe a pornography addiction. And the question is, am I willing to put a, a, a blocker on my phone or on my computer? It slows down my phone. I can't get to everything I want to get to. It's embarrassing and people see my phone. But is that predecision to set that there to protect your mind and heart worth it to you and to your family? There are a lot of things that we could decide to do in our lives to protect us. And when I was a student pastor, I learned this really interesting thing. Did you know that the average age that a child finds pornography is somewhere between the ages of 9 and 11? Did you know that? That's a study to show, one of the few studies that was done recently. 9 and 11. So there's a good chance if you have some, a child between the ages of 9 and 11, there's a good chance that maybe they've, they've stumbled on pornography, whether they're looking for it or not. And I read this interesting study. It said that if you allow a child, a teenager, to have electronic devices in their room by themselves, the chances and likelihood of them stumbling into and becoming addicted to pornography jumps severely. And so one of the things I learned as a, as a student pastor is, man, how important is it for you parents to be aware and to help set boundaries for our children so they don't even have to stumble and fall into those things. And when they do, they know what to do with it. They can come talk to you about it. But so I know some people that have rules that say, hey, no electronics in your room. I was talking to Pastor Jared. He said, in my family, we do not, we do not allow our kids to have their phones or their computers in their rooms. They have to always have it out in the open. Now, is that because you don't trust your children? No. I think it's just trying to guard and protect our children. So these are great conversations to be having with those around us. But ultimately, I'll say this. Just because you have made a predecision doesn't mean your predecision will not be tested. I'm going to tell you a story. When my wife and I got married, we had a crazy honeymoon. Not crazy like good, crazy like really hard and sad and awful, right? We ended up like, yeah, I wanted to go to Hawaii. My wife's like, Hawaii is so passe. Let's go somewhere else. We went somewhere else. We saw a car getting torn apart in front of us that just got stolen. We saw like, I mean, it was, I can't, I don't want to get into it. Okay. I feel like I have PTSD right now just thinking about it. Okay. So my wife and I decided five years later, we're going to scrape up a little bit of money and we're going to go to Hawaii and we're going to redo our honeymoon. And so we went to Hawaii and it was amazing. And then we found out about something called the timeshare thing. And we found out that, check this out. <laughs> it's the best deal ever, right? Do you want to buy my timeshare? I'm just kidding. No. Um, we found out that uh, if you sat through a timeshare presentation, you can get $200 to do whatever you want, Right. So my wife and I, we wanted to go to Man you know, the night manta ray swims on the big island. If you haven't done it, it's pretty amazing. I really wanted to touch one of those gigantic manta rays for some reason. So we're going to do it. I'm like, Heather, we're going to go. Don't worry. We're not going to buy anything. We're just going to go. So they, in the old days, I found out that they used to, this was so easy. You would go to these things and there'd be like 20 people in the room. And all you have to do is sit through a presentation and then they're like, here's your $200. But now they do one-on-one. -on -one. Did you know that? It's awful. It is awful. It's awful. 
It was not worth the money, I'll tell you that. Spent four hours with somebody. Four hours. The very first thing I said to him was, hey, my dude, listen, I'm only doing this for the $200. I have zero desire to get any timeshare. We don't have any money. We can't do it. Oh, okay. Well, let me show you about this timeshare thing. And went on for four hours. And it got worse because he was like, he was like, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm actually a student pastor. And he said, mm, man, the Lord... The Lord is so good. Yes, Lord. Yes, I agree. I'm not lying. He's like, I'm not, I love the Lord. I do. I go to church. I'm a church-going guy. I was like, okay, all right, okay. And then he eventually went on and on about how God wanted us to have this. And it was, it was so much. It was so, it was ridiculous. And I, the crazy thing was, we literally bought two timeshares that day. I'm just kidding. We didn't, we didn't buy any. We didn't buy any. No. And we didn't. My wife just kept looking at me like, no, 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 no. So our predecision to not do that still was tested. There were still moments where I was like, well, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, Hawaii, he kept saying, isn't Hawaii amazing? And I'm like, Heather, isn't Hawaii amazing? Imagine we could come back here every year, Heather. It only cost us like $56,000. Isn't that amazing? Right? So... The thing is, though, here's, here's why we still, okay, so we can have predecisions made, but we still also need to stand our ground. You still got to stand your ground. Just because you have a predecision made does not mean that your decision is going to be someone that's going to push against it. You see, Daniel himself was a man that uh, even though, this was a trip to me, I really enjoyed this while I was studying this, Daniel stood his ground. It's not like he was given the green light right away. Did you notice that in the text? It's not like they were like, you know what, Daniel? You seem like a great 16-year-old. You seem like someone that's trustworthy. You know, you can eat whatever you want, man. Don't worry about this King Babylon. He's just, just don't worry about that. That's not what he said. He actually tried to pressure Daniel. Look at verse 10. Look at your text. Look at verse 10. It says, but the official tells Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king. Okay? But check this out who has assigned you the food and drink. So, right off the bat, he's afraid, and he's trying to tell Daniel, Daniel, you should also be afraid, because guess what? It wasn't me who assigned this food. It was the king that assigned you this food. So why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? Okay? That's, that's a bit of a fork, a little bit of a stick in the side. Like, hey, listen, you, I'm telling you, man, you don't want to look bad in front of the king. If you start looking pretty skinny and like gaunt looking and I mean, your eyes start sinking in and you lose the, the beautiful look that you had when you came in here because you were so beautiful when you came in here. If you lose that, oof, I don't know, it's not going to be good for you. And then he says, the king would then have my head because of you. So what is he doing here? Well, number one, he's pressuring Daniel. Okay. If you don't do this, you're going to look bad. Number two, he's guilting Daniel. Do you see the guilt? The king would have my head because of you. So there's, there's pressure, there's guilt, there's manipulation all going on right now trying to get Daniel to say, okay, fine, I'll go for it. So when we as Christians, when we as followers of Jesus, we set these things, we say, no, I will not. I will stick to my guns. It does not mean that someone's not going to come by and say, is it really good enough? Are you sure this is, this is not worth it to you? Don't think that you won't have people that will come around you that will push you and challenge you to let go of your boundaries, that will push you while you're away from your family, 
that will push you at your job. I hear all the time, I, I, I have a ton of amazing men in my life group, and some of the things I hear from them all the time at their work, they are constantly being pressured. Especially if you're in the military here, man, it's a hard thing for you men and women in the military. There's so much pressure on your lives to just go with the flow and to stand out, to be a person of integrity, seems like it's a very hard thing. But I know that that follows us everywhere, everywhere we go. But Daniel stood his ground, but he also, he stood his ground, and we're going to look at how he did it. Let's look at verse 12 here together. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then he says, let's keep going. He says, then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and Treat your servants in accordance with what you see. You see, Daniel didn't just stand his ground, but look at the way that he talks to this man. He stands his ground with respect. He stands his ground with tact. He had a plan. He stood his ground with humility. Look what he says. He says, please. He says, uh, he asked permission. Uh, He also uh, was very humble. He says, your servants So the way that we stand our ground is as equally important to the ground that we hold. The convictions that we hold, it's equally as important the way that we hold those convictions as the convictions themselves. You see, Daniel could have said, forget you, you Babylonian pig. I'm a servant of the most high God. You're a pagan. I'm not going to fall through with what you want. So there, right? He didn't do that. He could have started fighting, started a revolution, pull out a sword. I mean, his life probably would have ended really quickly, but he would have got at least one person, right? But that's not the way he handled it. You see, the truth is that people know when you don't respect them. Just because people disrespect you doesn't necessarily mean that we can hand off and do the same disrespecting to other people. The way that we handle ourselves, the way that we live out our testimony, our witness for God, says a great deal about God himself. And Daniel understood that. You see, this is actually something that Peter talked about 500 years later in the book of 1 Peter. He said something really powerful, and it's very much in alignment with where, the way Daniel was living his life. He says this, but in your hearts, okay, so again, the people that Peter was writing to were in tremendous, tremendous persecution. He said, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always Christ, number one. Christ has authority in your life, just like Daniel put authority over Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we need to predecide that we can be able to share about the hope that we have. I know when some of us, we talk about, you know, Marcus talks about sharing the gospel and being a, a testimony of God in our lives wherever we go. I'm just curious, are you ready right now if someone said to you, why are you a Christian? Can you share about the hope that's in your life? That's what's up, Enid. That's what's up. Can we articulate what God has done in our lives in a way that the person sitting next to you will understand? 
That doesn't mean that you use these theological terms that mean a whole lot to you when you were going to school or when we talked about our Flash Theology series. But can you speak in a way that the person next to you will get it? And that they will understand that God is for them, not against them. And that God has transformed your life for the better because of his work that only he could do in your life. And that if you want it to, I can tell you about how you can have that hope too. Are you able, are you willing to have those conversations? But we want to do it with gentleness and respect. We want to be ready to share that hope and do it in a way that people will actually want to respond and want to be a part of what God is doing. Um, when I was going to college, I met this, um, a couple of guys that were, in, I found out we're in a band. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard of the band Haste of the Day. They're a metalcore, hardcore band. Anyone's into that kind of music? I'm, I'm really into that music. Uh, and I, I met these guys that were in this band. And it was really interesting because when I first got to know them, they were just like literally plastering uh, paper all over Chicago trying to, get, trying to get anyone to pick them up and listen to them. I remember going to their first shows and there was like very few people there, but they were given everything that they could. And eventually they ended up getting signed and they started touring all over, the, all over the world. They told me that they were playing on average over 270 shows a year. They were playing every single year for 10 years. And what's interesting is I asked my friend Brandon, who's like the lead singer and guitarist in the band, I said, hey, Brandon, tell me about why you, like, what was the heartbeat behind starting this band? And you know what he said? He said, I wanted to be a witness. He said, I knew that God was giving our band a platform and that we wanted to be a platform for God in our life. But he said, we couldn't do it with Christian bands because the only people coming to see Christian bands were Christian kids. We wanted to, to meet the kids that, were, that didn't want to be in a church, that would never go to God. We wanted to meet them. So we did everything we could to go on to tours with bands that weren't Christians. And he said that, that mentality shift, that pre-decision impacted the outcome of their band. And what's interesting is, these guys pre-decided even before they went out that they were not going to party, that they were going to be, um, if they were going to drink, it was going to be in uh, very small quantities and definitely not, not out of control. For the first several years, I don't think they even drank at all as a band. They were, they were trying to live their life in a way that was honoring God. They, they set up accountability in their life so that when, when uh, girls who were uh, looking for some type of sexual favor or whatever in the band, that they would literally set up accountability that, that you would not be alone with a girl outside of the rest of the group. They did all that because they knew that the pressure was coming and they knew that it was so heavy on them but they wanted to have a witness of, of God to the bands and to the students uh, or to the kids. And there was one time in particular, it was really interesting, my friend was telling me, he said, you know, when we first got started we had like no money and so whenever you went to these venues they give you what's called like a per diem. So they used to give you like $7 to go buy McDonald's or something like that or they would provide you a meal. And so this one particular meal, they're out with all these bands that are not Christians, they said, hey, um, dinner tonight is at the strip club next door. If you go, um, there's this incredible food for you and it's free. As much as you want. And so they were like looking around and all the other bands got up and they all went to the strip club. And they all turned to my friend in their band and said, are you guys coming? They said, no nah, man, we're cool. We're good. We don't need to. We're good. Thank you though. And they were like, what? And, and they were like, no, no, no it's okay. We'll, we'll get some other food. You know what they did? They went to the gas station across the street, bought a cup of noodles and sat there outside the gas station and had a cup of noodles. Why? Because their integrity to them was worth more than a meal inside a strip club. 
All that they had built, their whole band, all they had built, could have been just thrown out the window in this one moment. But because they had predecided that they would honor God with their decisions, they said no. And the crazy thing is, I asked my friend, I said, did the bands, were they weird with you about it? And he said, no, they weren't actually. They respected us for our decision. And they said, you know what? I figured you wouldn't come anyways because I saw the way you were living before. See, the grab thing, this is what's crazy to me about Daniel, is that Daniel got something that I feel like sometimes I forget. Is that Daniel knew that he was a witness for God in Babylon. You see, yes, the people were taken into captivity, but guess who sent them there? God. Yeah, they're disobedient, but you know what God wanted to do? God wanted to reach the Babylonians too. God loves the Babylonians. God loves our neighbors. He loves our co-workers in the cubicles next to us. He loves the people that are partying on the weekends. They can't control themselves. He loves them. And he wants to use us to reach them. And that's why our integrity, our, our character is so vital. Because when people see us, we want them to see God. We're not perfect, but we want people to hear about the love of God and the kindness of God and the goodness of God. And a lot of times, the only Bible, we've heard this all the time, the only Bible someone's ever going to read is your life, my life. But it's our decision whether or not we're going to live that life like Daniel did. So let's find out what happened in Daniel's life. Let's read here. We're almost done. Let's continue reading in Daniel chapter 1 verse 15. It says this, At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Great, Marcus's diet. That sounds awful. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters who practiced the dark arts in the whole kingdom. Let's look at verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better. How many days did they, uh, did they do their fast? How many days? 10 days. And now they're 10x better than all the magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. See, the results of their experiment, what were the results? Well, they looked healthier. I don't know how that's possible, but they looked healthier. The guards took the food away. And ultimately, they had a tremendous amount of favor with the king. The truth is, when we walk, when you and I walk in integrity, God begins to increase our influence. And this is something that we're going to see for the whole book of Daniel as we study this together. You'll see this over and over and over as a recurring theme, is that their influence grew. But the thing is, that this wasn't necessarily an influence influence increase of quantity so much as quality. They were impacting the lives of people around them. And when we choose to live lives of integrity, when we choose to follow God and we set God as authority in our life, and we give up all the battles, you say, God, I need your help in this, our wives see it. Our kids see it. Our coworkers see it. Our, guy, our, our life group sees it. People that we meet in our life, we see that. And ultimately, it begins to have a lasting impact. 
And I'm just going to conclude with just a couple thoughts before Nate comes up here. As I was thinking about this and I was studying this passage, I just kept thinking, okay, yes, pre-decide. Yes, we've got to stand our ground. But you know what I realized is that we cannot do any of this without God's help. We cannot walk in integrity apart from God and his goodness and grace in our life. You see, if you look back at the text, if you have your Bible, look back at the text of verse 2. It was God who delivered Jerusalem into the hands of the Babylonians. And then in verse 9, it was God who gave Daniel favor and compassion in the eyes of the security And ultimately, God was the one that gave Daniel all kinds of knowledge and understanding. And by the way, he gave him the ability to interpret dreams, which would become incredibly important the rest of this book. All of this was what God gave. So to seem and to think like, hey, Daniel's this great person, but to not realize that God was in the background, his hand was all throughout Daniel's life, that he was helping him in everything he was doing, we're missing the point. Uh, my daughter, uh, I love my children. I feel very blessed. I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, uh, June and Remy. And uh, the other day, I was stressing about this sermon, actually. And I was, I, I didn't want to do this in my own strength. I didn't want to do this in a way that I was trying to please anyone except God. And I was just stressed. I felt the pressure. And Junie came up to me and said, uh, what, what wrong, Dada? And I said, June, I'm feeling stressed right now. Uh, and I said to her, and this is something we've been trying to do, June, can you pray for me? And June just immediately went like this. She said, yes, dear God, please help Dada not to be scared uh, and help him to know that Junie is always here for him. Amen. Amen. I, my heart was like, oh, it's like the Grinch. The heart grew three sizes or whatever in that moment. All of a sudden, I felt all of this strength and all this ability. I just thought, you know what, God? Thank you so much for my daughter. Thank you for that reminder, Lord. Just like June said, she's always here for me. God, you are always here for me. God, you will never leave me nor forsake me. God, I'm confident of this, that the one that began the good work in me will complete it until the day of redemption. I am so thankful that I'm not in this battle alone and that you and I, we are not in this battle alone. We have the most high God, the Holy One of Israel, that strengthens us and empowers us to live the life that he's called us to live. And that he won't abandon us in it, but he is inviting us to trust him with it and to walk with him. And so, Nate, I'm going to invite Nate to come up on stage here. And Nate's going to just conclude with the song. Um, as we're kind of praying and, and this music is playing, I just encourage you, maybe today, if you're feeling like you're here today and you're just failing and you want help to live a different life, I would encourage us during this time just to say, God, help. God, help me. God, empower me by your spirit to live the life that you've called me to live And some of us here, as we're here, we're struggling, we're battling with stuff, we're battling with our character, our temptation. Just take this time right now to say, God, show me the area that I need to pre-decide right now in my life I'm not going back to. I'm not going back there. I'm not doing that. I need your help, God. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll have a song. I just encourage you, just let this time be between you and the Lord here. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning to jump in your word. Thank you for the example of Daniel. But Lord, I thank you most of all that you were there with Daniel, God. That you were empowering him, you were strengthening him, God. That you wanted to transform his life, God. And help him to be a witness to the world about how good you are. Lord, I pray even right now that your spirit would fall here, Lord. 
that, God, you'd help us to sense and experience, first and foremost, your love, God. That we are totally, 100% accepted in your eyes, Lord. That we have your favor. That there's nothing that we could ever do that would make us, make you love us more than you love us right now, God. I pray that, that your love would just flood into our hearts, God. And that we could just connect. We could turn our eyes to you and say, God, help me. This mountain seems so strong. It seems so tall. I don't know how I'm going to get past it. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. I pray this, God, in Jesus' name.